0: So today I would like to preach to you about being born again from above. And I'd like to start with uh, what the scripture does, which uh, to give an introduction to Nicodemus. And in this passage, we meet Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, which means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish governing body and you might well remember that it was before the Sanhedrin that Jesus stood on trial and was condemned to death and verse 1 also says that Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees the Pharisees of course took to following the laws and the tradition of the elders very very seriously and verse 4 indicates that he was probably an older man And verse 10 confirms that he was a recognized religious teacher. So Nicodemus was a man of significance in the social strata. He was involved in the governmental and the judicial arm, a select member. He was a member of the Pharisee class, which was the recognized leaders in the theological and teaching circles. So in lots of ways he had heft and respect. However, fairly consistently we know that Jesus has quite a low assessment of the Pharisees. Well, how low? Well, if we turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is where Jesus lets loose on them. And ultimately actually identifies them not as children of God, but actually children of hell I'm going to read from verse 2 in Matthew 23 the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses seat so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do for they preach but do not practice they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honour at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. I'm going to skip down to verse 13. You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? So Jesus, not impressed with the pharisees i think you can conclude nicodemus is a part of these elite religious false teachers i think we'd have to say that have led the people astray into what amounts to a false religion their religion does not get you closer to god and heaven it puts you actually on the road to hell and all of the pharisees As John MacArthur actually points out in a sermon he has given, of all the Pharisees, we only know of two who get saved. One is the Apostle Paul, and the other is this man, Nicodemus. He's mentioned three times in John's Gospel, here in chapter 3, also in chapter 7, verses 45 to 52, where he defends Jesus' right to having a fair trial and gets abused for his fair comments by his fellow Pharisees. And also in chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, where he is present and assists with Jesus' burial. I want to talk about the darkness that blinds. You see, Nicodemus had been impacted by Jesus, and so he is drawn to seek him out to learn more. And John notes that he came to Jesus by night. The implication being that he was conscious to avoid being seen to be associated with Jesus. But John has another purpose in reporting this visit at night. You see, Nicodemus is literally walking in darkness. He can't see very much in the dark. His sight is impaired. Remember how Jesus described the Pharisees as blind guides. You can see that John has a lot to say about walking in the light, if you remember the passage from verse 19 onwards. So the picture of this Pharisee walking in darkness is probably meant to underscore the ignorance of the Pharisees in general. Indeed, Jesus later in this passage marvels that this ruler of the Jews and teacher of Israel is so lacking in understanding of even earthly things, let alone heavenly things. And this situation of Nicodemus coming to Jesus takes on a bit of a crazy twist when it transpires that Nicodemus claims, his opening comment is, that he claims to have that, a special insight and knowledge, in knowledge enough to actually assess whether or not Jesus is from God. Talk about role reversal there. Jesus immediately puts him in his place, however, And the gravity of what Jesus is saying in this passage is highlighted by him saying truly, truly three times. He solemnly tells Nicodemus the hard truth. Nicodemus, you are actually blind to the things of God in your natural unregenerate state. To see the kingdom of God requires a total transformation that amounts to a supernatural rebirth. Yes, even for one with such great credentials as you. You must be born again. So let's talk about being born again. Now, even before I had become a Christian myself, I had heard the phrase, the born again Christian. And I didn't really understand what it meant. And actually, neither did Nicodemus at this time either. You must be born again, or born from above. Because interestingly, the, the, the word there has this double meaning. And you can just see that John is at it again. Because John loves the ambiguity of double meanings, mainly because he usually wants us to recognize that both meanings apply. And here, it can mean born again, or born from above. Here born again indicates that people are so ruined by sin that nothing less than complete recreation will suffice. As uh, Carson puts it in his commentary on John, what is in view is a new nature, not just turning over a new leaf. Being born from above, on the other hand, indicates our total dependence dependence upon divine inspiration and operation for this rebirth to happen at all. The analogy with natural birth, I think, is instructive and worth exploring. After all, what role did you play in your own physical birth? Did you decide by your own will to be made, and did you choose which womb to grow in? Did you oversee your own creation and development? What did you contribute to being born? Well, just to put you out of your tension, if you're not sure of the answers, the answers are none, no, and nothing. In the same way, being reborn spiritually comes from above. It happens to you. All you can do is receive it. And interestingly, this is summarized, if you turn back just a couple of pages to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Poor Nicodemus, when he hears Jesus talk about being born again, he is startled and confused because the concept is completely new to him. He's used to following rules and traditions to gain the favour of God. He struggles to grasp this whole idea. And so Jesus becomes more explicit and more expansive. And so now in verse 5, it's not just about seeing the kingdom, but actually entering into it that is impossible. And being born again or born from above is expanded further to include being born of the water and the spirit. What on earth does born of water and born a spirit mean well some have suggested it might mean both natural birth as in the waters have broken the baby's on the way and spiritual birth but this conflicts really with what was the point just made that this rebirth is exclusively from above and spiritual and it can't be referenced to the rites of water baptism otherwise such baptism becomes a salvific issue. It means that we can't be saved then without going through the rite of water baptism. So rather this phrase, the idea of being being born of water and the spirit, is best understood to be pointing to scriptures like Ezekiel 36 Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 27, where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules so the close combination there of water and spirit so this then is giving more detail about what it means to be born again or born from above it is a cleansing and a purification as well as a heart and spirit transformation. Born of water is to be washed clean from sin. Being born of the Spirit causes us to be able to walk a godly life. Now, as an expert and a teacher of the scriptures, Nicodemus should have been aware of such famous verses as these. And this is why Jesus in verse 7 says... Nicodemus, you should not be marvelling over the concept of being born again and born from above because these concepts are already in the scripture. God's sovereignty in this divine rebirth is reinforced with yet another example of double meaning. In the next section of the scripture, in verse 8, with the analogy of the spirit and the wind, which is the same word, ruach, Spirit and wind. The point is, the wind cannot be summoned and regulated by human beings. Even today, we can't do that. But we can detect its influence. And similarly, the spirit cannot be summoned and regulated by any mortal man at will. But the work of the spirit is nonetheless evident in changed lives. I want to move on now to... Jesus's identity and central role because this is where the passage goes because Nicodemus continues in his bewilderment, asking Jesus how can this be literally how can this whole thing happen and Jesus answers him interestingly by revisiting Nicodemus's own introductory statements about his knowing and seeing about Jesus and that he knew that Jesus had come from God and that God was with him. The thing is is that Nicodemus must be challenged about who Jesus really is. So Jesus tells Nicodemus how the Son of Man is uniquely qualified to testify of what he knows and what he has seen because he has literally come from heaven. The implication being that he is God And so his testimony should be accepted, but instead it is more often than not rejected. Nicodemus, of course, had credited Jesus with the respectful title rabbi, meaning teacher, but Jesus was much more than that. He was the promised Messiah who would save those whom the Father had chosen and was himself God incarnate. Truths that Nicodemus had yet to recognize, so the supposed teacher of Israel now gets a lesson from the true teacher of Israel, who again appeals to a famous and well-known scripture that Nicodemus should know that point to Jesus's identity and his purpose, and that scripture is Numbers at Numbers 21 verses 5 to 9, and I'll read it to you. As the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone... He would look at the bronze serpent and live. So, more powerful parallels for the teacher of the Torah here to meditate on. God gave physical life to those poisoned by the serpents in this story by crucifying that which caused them physical death, mainly the serpent. Now, now the same God provides eternal spiritual life to those poisoned by sin, by crucifying their sin now imparted to Christ, which had caused them spiritual death. Now this used to confuse me. I didn't understand the parallel between the bronze serpent on the pole and Jesus on the cross. I had trouble reconciling those two. But it makes sense when you understand that Jesus took our sins upon himself, that it was our sins that were crucified with Christ, the very thing that was a fatal poison to us. Both were lifted up for all to see, it says in verse 14. Again, that double meaning. Christ was physically lifted, but he was also exalted to the highest place and with the name above all names. I find it particularly touching here that by telling Nicodemus this story from the Old Testament about the bronze serpent, Jesus is personally foreshadowing to Nicodemus the crucifixion and its significance. Although, of course, Nicodemus had no way of understanding it at the time. But later, as already noted in John chapter 19, You know, it is Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who at some risk took the crucified body of Jesus from Pilate and tenderly bound it in linen clothes and spices and laid him in the tomb in the garden. So Nicodemus would indeed become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He would be born again. To bring this to a close with a summary and a conclusion. So I think it's good to summarize Jesus' answer to Nicodemus' questions. Those questions being, how can a man be reborn? How can these things be? Well, a man can only be reborn by a divine and supernatural act of the Spirit of God. He can't make it happen himself. It is beyond the command and capability of the flesh. As noted in our passage, flesh can only give birth to fleshy things. This supernatural birth, it's of water and the spirit, meaning it involves spiritual purification and spiritual regeneration. Only the divine spirit of God can do this. And only he has the prerogative to choose whom to bestow it upon just as the wind blows where it pleases. Jesus further explains that this purification and regeneration is directly linked to belief in the Son of Man and Him being lifted up, and that such trust results in eternal life for the one who believes. And as it was God the Father who gave and sent His only Son to save the world. So here we see the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all at work in salvation. It is wholly a sovereign and Trinitarian miracle. The power of the Spirit to bring about rebirth is seen that even a Pharisee lost in darkness can be redeemed. So don't give up praying for the salvation of others. No matter how lost and resistant they seem to be, God is able to save even the worst of sinners, as Paul can attest. Be wary of the darkness that comes with false religion, particularly those that focus on human effort and willpower rather than the grace and the power of God to produce good works. You remember that Paul berated the Galatians For having begun in the spirit he could see that they were now at risk of trying to perfect themselves by the flesh in Galatians 3.3 such practices result in a blindness that can lead to missing the kingdom of God but by keeping Christ the central focus such traps can be avoided our hope is in God and his spirit and the redeeming work of Christ He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I think it's fitting to end here that as we approach the season of Christmas that we consider the new birth that we have in Christ, who himself was reborn in the incarnation to live the pure life that was then imparted to us. Verse 19 declares that the light had come into the world, which was lost in darkness and evil. But verse 21 holds out the hope of salvation that those who seek truth come to the light in the darkness as Nicodemus actually did. And the truth that they live out is clearly seen that it was all being carried out by God, not by the will of man. So it's just like when someone is born, the glory should go to God Align.